Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Matthew 18. Who here has been in a conflict with someone and the other person said, we have to do Matthew 18? Raise your hand. Anyone ever like a church or something? Got to do Matthew 18, right? Um, And also, this was a a huge part of uh, me being a kid growing up. Um, My mom would always talk about, uh, well, eh, usually not from the Matthew, but uh, this little thingy-majiggy when we would talk about uh, reconciliation, church, communion. I remember my mom looking over at me and saying, do you have a grudge with anyone? If you have a grudge with someone, you shouldn't go up to communion this week. I remember that distinctly. Uh, oh, the, the old ways, right? If someone holds a grudge, if they are not repentant in their sin, they choose to, of their own accord, not come forward to receive Christ's body and blood, for it is for repentant sinners. Well, Brigida gives, or not Brigida, oh man, what a Freudian slip. Jesus gives us a brief insight. Sorry, I shouldn't have made eye contact with you. Jesus gives us a brief insight into the kind of hell that we trap other people in and that we ourselves get trapped in when we refuse to forgive and when uh, we are not forgiven. Uh, And so he gives us these specific instructions about not only the importance of forgiveness, but just concrete steps because he knew that we'd mess it up, right? You know, thanks be to God, Jesus didn't leave being like, okay, guys, like you're all going to treat each other very well and you're going to be nice to each other and there's going to be no conflict. Just love one another, right? But even in that, he puts conditions on things. Love one another, as I have loved you, he says. So even then, we're imitating Jesus to love people self-sacrificially. But everyone's very familiar with the process. First, if someone does something to hurt you, you go and you talk to them in private, one-on-one, and you say, hey, you really hurt me. Could you please say you're sorry? You really hurt me. By the way, it's very beneficial if you do this when they've cooled down. Right? Take a, a breather. And Jesus tells us if they say, no, I'm not going to forgive you, then um, take two or, th- or one or two others to witness. Sometimes this works the best when you take someone on your side and someone on their side. So each one gets a witness. Ask them, Hey, you really hurt me. It still hurts. Could you please say you're sorry? And if this person still refuses, then go to pastor. Pastor, can you arbitrate, <laughs> right, between these, these two positions? I feel like they hurt me. And this is usually when it comes out, right? Well, turns out 
they didn't just hurt you. You also did some stuff to hurt them. Right? And then pastor's a beneficial uh, arbitrator there. And um, at this point, no, this isn't only trapped in the good old days of the early 20th century and 19th century and before. Pastor may say, you two parties, we did not come to a point of reconciliation. You both still have a despising hatred of each other. Could you please both refrain from receiving the Lord's Supper on Sunday? All right. And so um, Jesus closes up this uh, short instruction by saying, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this isn't willy-nilly. I'm not sure if uh, you guys have seen um, like religious art of like St. Peter or just think of the um, Vatican City flag. It's white and yellow. There's two keys on it. Have you ever seen a um, painting or a sculpture of Peter maybe on a church and he's holding two keys? So that is because... Um, Jesus here is giving these keys. Anything that you um, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Anything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Um, All Christians have access to these two keys that Jesus has given us. The key to heaven and the key to hell. One opens the gates of heaven. One locks the gates of heaven and opens the gates of hell. You see, you have a superpower as a Christian. You can forgive someone's sins. You also can bind someone's sins. But I strongly warn you not to bind someone's sins because just a few verses down, yeah, Jesus tells a parable about forgiveness and he says, My heavenly father will do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Yeah. In other places, Jesus says, if you do not forgive your brother, your father in heaven will not forgive you. If you are standing and hold something against a brother, forgive them, Jesus says. And then proceeds to say the same thing. If you do not forgive your brother, your father in heaven will not forgive you. And so we have the power to do both. But most times, nine out of ten times, that second one of binding another person's sins is... Something that we really have to hold radioactively and be darn sure we're doing the right thing. But Jesus doesn't leave us on that note. He says, if two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am among you. Now, it was very cool for people, uh, primarily pastors, to tell people like you, 
um, maybe for the last 10 years, that when Jesus says when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them, it doesn't mean worship. I'm here to tell you, why doesn't it mean worship? Why doesn't it mean worship? Let's just read it. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus is saying, I'm present with you whenever my name is there, right? Whenever my word's read, whenever my sacraments are given, whenever a brother or a sister says to another brother or sister, I forgive you, Jesus is there. But he goes into a masterful parable. Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? He says, what, like seven times? Keep in mind, rabbis at the time were saying you have to only have to forgive someone three times and then you can hate them. <laughs> right? And so, you know, Peter was, you know, being generous. But Jesus says, nope, 77 times. Though we all are most familiar with 70 times seven. It's just as often as you think of it. That's how I like to interpret it. As often as not only they ask for forgiveness, but as often as you think of that person and how much you hate them and what they did to you, when you think that, instead say, Lord Jesus, I forgive this person. Every time the thought comes up in your head, when you're lying in bed at night and you're having a hard time falling asleep because you're so either guilty about something you've done in the past or you're so angry at what someone else has done to you, you can lie there and say, Lord Jesus, I love you. You forgave me. I forgive this person. And I trust your words that I am forgiven. Now, this parable of the two uh, different debtors, pretty crazy, huh? One person has a 40 years worth of labor uh, debt. Another person has a three-month debt. And the king, or the master, says, uh, you know what? You know, uh, this man with 40 years worth of debt, because you're begging me, I will forgive your debt. And then that man goes... And he sees his fellow servant. And he says, you know, where's my money? You know, shakes him up, right? You know, shaking his, picks him up by his feet. And he's shaking out the milk money, right? Right? Lunch money. Jesus is trying to once again teach us to not be hypocritical. If you are forgiven, then that ought to teach you how to forgive. God has been merciful to you. Be merciful to others. Be like your Father in heaven. And so he closes with that warning. Because when you forgive someone, you're freeing them from their own personal hell, you see. 
Some people, sure, they get very, you know, bitter and closed off and cold-hearted and, I don't know, maybe you're projecting onto them that they don't feel guilty or they're not upset about it anymore. But you can't know that for sure. Put the best construction on it. Free them from that hell. Use that key Forgive their sin. Open up the gates of heaven to that other person. Be Jesus to that other person. Be merciful to that person. Because Jesus was merciful to you. I want to quickly talk to you about this John reading. I think we'll read it again on Easter. But this is, boy is this an Easter reading. This takes place after Jesus rises from the dead, but all the disciples, Mary Magdalene, Mary, they all think Jesus is dead in the ground and everything he said he was wasn't true. The doors are locked. They're afraid. They're afraid the Jewish authorities are going to come in and arrest them and kill them too, even though Jesus said, I have to die and after three days rise again. He says that like four times. And so Jesus had every right to be very, very upset. He sees all these people who have this hope that surpasses all understanding, and they're living in fear, just like how us, how we, we have the hope that surpasses all understanding. We know that our Redeemer lives and that we will live to see him with our own eyes on the last day. Yet we live in fear, fear of a million different things. We live in hatred. We live not only trapping other people in sins that they've committed against us, refusing to forgive. We also are trapped in hells of our own, being unforgiven by other people. And so Jesus has to stop it. He needs to come in, interrupt all of that fear-mongering, and say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he says it twice. And he shows them his hands and his side. Why does he do that? It's really me. I'm the guy that died on the cross. I'm not a ghost. It's me. It's not a body double. And then he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So God sent the Son into the world to heal, forgive sins, raise the dead, cast out demons, die and rise again. So Jesus is sending you into the world to forgive sins, which, by the way, really drove people bonkers back in the day. Religious authorities were not happy when Jesus was forgiving people's sins, right? Who are you, a man, to say your sins are forgiven? That's the kind of thing that will get you put on a cross, right? Jesus sends you into the world to forgive sins, to free people from their hells, to free you from your hell, to heal people with your prayers, your words, to give people peace, to cast out demons, to raise other people from the dead by sharing the good news, and to kill you 
and to raise you up in your baptism and then to raise you up and transform you on the last day. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now they'll finally get it. They have the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them, just like how in Genesis 1, when God creates people out of dirt, he breathes into it, and it becomes a person. They have a soul. Now Jesus is breathing into people and making them new creations. You receive that same spirit, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, in your baptism. Use it. Use this last, this last sentence. Use this superpower Jesus has given you. Forgive sins. Because when you forgive others their sins, their sins are truly forgiven forever. When you forgive someone's sins, if Brigitte punches Evelyn, and Evelyn says, that's not nice, And Brita says, I'm sorry. And Evelyn says, I forgive you. When they both get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, oh, Jesus. Or Brigitte is going to say, oh, Jesus. I'm so sorry I punched Evelyn that one day. And Jesus is going to say, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, are you talking about that thing that Evelyn forgave? All those years ago? Why would I remember that? Evelyn forgave you. I gave her the power to do that. And so, use your powers. Use them responsibly. Amen.